This is the Data Privacy Detective, and today we're going to talk a lot about blockchain and privacy and, and how this really works. And a very interesting company and product, that we're going to talk about the Hedera system and what that has to do with privacy. And we have a wonderful guest this morning, Zenobia Godshop. Zenobia, thanks for joining us this morning. Joe, thank you for having me on. Much appreciated. Well, I'm really excited about this. You're, now, you're the head of communications for Swirls Labs, which is helping to grow the Hedera ecosystem. And Hedera is, a, is an open source, leaderless, proof-of-stake network that hopes to power the next generation of the web. So we're here to talk about it. Let's start with this, uh, Zenobia. I think my listeners know what blockchain is, but that doesn't mean we all really understand it. So let me let me ask you to talk to us a little bit about what blockchain technology is and, and how it's different from cryptocurrency. They're, they're really quite different. But why don't you tell us about that, please? Yeah, they absolutely are. So, you know, I think when we think about blockchain and crypto, it is very much thinking about um, an analogy there would be thinking about the World Wide Web and then thinking about a sort of singular application or way that people leverage the web. So blockchain is really, um, you know, underlying uh, infrastructure, right? It is like internet infrastructure. It's, um, you know, it is sort of a set of shared ways that people can read and write to a shared database that different people can access and be able to see and verify that no single person controls it. So the way we talk about it is sort of a shared immutable ledger where you can um, record transactions and you can demonstrate what has happened just like you would um, record transactions to a database. But in a slightly different way so that there's no single company that owns the entire infrastructure. And you have this um, concept of shared infrastructure where everybody can verify what has happened on the network. Right. And we can talk about blockchain as a technology. I, I like to think of it as a way of thinking, really. I mean, to, you know, we put our money in a bank. Okay. And the bank uh, has our money and, and we go to the bank and say, Do, is my money still there? Is it a little <laughs> interest or whatever it is? Now, that's not blockchain thinking. And, and instead, we have this idea of a decentralized system, whereas you've said, no, there is no bank uh, ledger uh, in blockchain thinking. It's we each connect through blockchain and uh, control a little more what we release about ourselves. Is that, a, is that a fair way of thinking about blockchain technology? Yeah, I think it's a really good way of thinking about it. And I think, you know, given an era where, trust in institutions and of all kinds is at an all-time low. It is a way for both individuals and organizations to demonstrate and verify that trust. Right. Now, personal information, of course, is subject to a lot of risks. Traditional infrastructure, you know, we can slip up and give our password to somebody and then it affects us and our organization. You know, when you get to blockchain, how does it increase or decrease our ability to control our own release of private information? You know, I think we're going to get, um, we may jump in very quickly to sort of this idea of pseudonymous data. or Let's jump into it right now. Pseudonymous. <laughs> if, if you're pseudonymous, I wouldn't know your first name. I'd be, I'd be talking to someone, but I might know not know anything really. 
right? That's right. Or maybe you only know the re- the important things that you need to know, right? So you may only know that this person is qualified to, for example, receive certain benefits or is qualified to do transactions in certain financial systems or has the right credentials in order to benefit from something or can prove that they own something. But you don't necessarily need to know that, you know, it is Joe Denner and your name and date of birth and where you live. Um, you know, maybe that kind of information. I don't necessarily want everybody to know. Yeah, but, well, you know, you let's know. let's take an example or two about that. Let, let, let's say, uh, which I'm not, uh, let's say I'm 18 years. I just celebrated my 18th birthday <laughs> and I want to walk into a bar and buy a glass. Nobody asks me anymore. I'm very offended how, how you know, if I'm 18. But uh, let's say I'm on I, and I walk in and, and they say, well, let, let me see your identity. And I give them a, hmm, a driver's license. That's got all sorts of information about me. And you, you, how would it work if the bar used blockchain thinking? Yes. Well, first of all, I think at least in the U.S., you still have to be 21. So um, let's call you know, it 21. Sure we okay. have that caveat. <laughs> But, you know, I think we are you're thinking about, gosh, is there a way that I could verify on a um, you know, I could have this concept of self-sovereign identity where I can control what parts of my identity other people see. And, you know, that can be um, can be written to a blockchain. You can have this concept of, okay, so instead of going to the bar and showing your ID, which shows that you're 21, gives your exact date of birth gives your height, your weight, and your home address. Those are all things that you don't necessarily need to prove to demonstrate that you're actually 21. So what if we had a way of abstracting out that data and being able to verify, yes, this is the person and this characteristic being 21 is true for this person. And you can see it on this, you know, public ledger and you don't need to see anything else. And that way, when I go there and I try to get in, I don't also feel like, gosh, you know, somebody now that I don't know has all of this information about me and maybe has my home address, which can be a little bit scary. So So the way both of the receiving organization and in my example, the, uh, the youngster trying to get a drink, they each can kind of control what information they're they're sending for the for the sender. But likewise, the recipient organization really doesn't want a data that could get it in trouble if it's hacked. So they can control how much they can engage in data minimization. So both sides are possible, you're saying. That's absolutely right. And I think, you know, you see a lot of companies struggling with what do I do with PII? That's one of the areas where, you know, you have to do a lot of compliance. There are a lot of risks of data breaches, right? All the things that we hear in the headlines are these data breaches of PII, and then they have not only the reputational damage, but they have to go and, you know, communicate to each of their consumers. I'm sorry, I've lost all this data about you. You know, wouldn't it be better if they didn't have to have that data in the first place? If it's only not get what you need, their data only operation, get the data you need. Yeah, exactly. Well, and now we're into the. Uh, tell us about tokenization, because to make this work, what, what what is tokenization? Yeah, so tokenization, and you know, I think a lot of people have heard of this idea of NFTs, right? And people say. Okay, well, great. You know, NFTs seemed like kind of a nice, um, you know, fun thing. And maybe I can have some digital images. But that was really just the first stage of NFTs, right? The um, It was just sort of the 
initial experimentation, still a very valuable market where people are trading, you know, digital artwork and those kinds of things. Um, But tokenization is really basically the ability to abstract anything and represent it as a token on a blockchain network. Um, So, you know, you may be able to say, um, okay, I'd like to use tokenization in banking so I can protect some cardholder data. Maybe I only, you know, abstract out certain information and represent that as a token um, on the network. So rather than storing all of your data on a database or a ledger, you're only storing this tokenized data, right? Which is really a representation of the attributes that you need to know. Maybe we'll take a, let's take another example from kind of the receiving party's uh, standpoint. You know, you can go on, on websites and if, if it has, uh, sometimes I'll say, are you at least 18 years old, you know, to look at the next thing, whatever it may be. It may be a book, it may be an artwork, it may be something different. But, uh, you know, 11-year-old can click and say, oh, yes, I'm 18. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, what good is that? In a way, you might quickly ask yourself. How do, how would that work if if if, if a website, uh, whatever it is, wants to be sure that somebody clicking on that really is 18 years old? Right. So in a blockchain, you can have sort of a, like we've talked about, a pseudonymous identity, right? You can say, um, and today the way that a lot of people do it is you have a wallet address, right? So that wallet address is tied to me personally. And then I could have NFTs that potentially verify my age. They verify different aspects of my identity. And, you know, the receiving party can just say, okay, great. Now I have, um, you know, I have received access to that sort of tokenization of identity. So I can know that some other system has confirmed you to be 18 years old. But I don't actually need to know your exact birth date in order to do that, right? There is this yeah. um, this verification that has already happened, um, and now there is proof of that that is, you know, written to the blockchain, has been signed by different parties who can verify that, and then everybody who needed to know that could, you know, access that, you know, publicly facing or semi-privately facing asset in your wallet to demonstrate, yep, this person is 18. And now they can sort of seamlessly go through the next set of processes. Well, and you know, sometimes that may happen in your browser. Sometimes that may happen, you know, in other ways. And I think people are still figuring out how do I leverage that technology in my systems today? Yeah. And if you think about it, this could relate to health data where people are, you know, they want to contribute to reducing cancer over time, but they're a little reluctant to share everything. But they could just share certain things and they don't have to use their name, address. It, make, it makes people more comfortable sharing bits of things that can help the greater good or right. take registered voter lists. Uh, I mean, it just could be all sorts of things where we want to keep a lot of things private, not subject people to undue risks in their lives uh, or invasions of their privacy, but it works both ways. The receiving party can also say, I only want to get information about X, Y, or Z and don't tell me anything else. That's right. I think there's a lot of pressure on, you know, chief information security officers to say, what is our risk? What is our Mm -hmm. overall risk profile? And if I can tell you that instead of storing these huge databases of PII, I am actually storing none of that, 
in my systems, but I have a confirmed way to verify that, you know, the users, for example, are complying with my local, state, you know, regional laws. Um, and, you know, all everything that I'm doing complies with that without me having to actually hold the, the data itself. That reduces the attack surface for the company that is um, responsible for making sure that their users are qualified or the right age or whatever it might be. It really uh, helps privacy by design if a company wants to uh, uh, to have it and is protective of a business. Well, let me let me turn to this. Uh, we all know traditional IT infrastructure is certainly terrific. It's made the world a better place, but it certainly has been risky. Identity <laughs> theft, uh, trillions of dollars of losses over time. Uh, well, is blockchain going to be one hundred percent effective? Well, so anytime somebody says, I have a silver bullet for security, you know, that is, um, <laughs> that sounds like fiction. Still returns to a red flag, right? So right. I think you are, you have to think about the different layers of the infrastructure. So you have the underlying blockchain itself, which is really kind of that layer one, right? And, and for that, you want to think about, okay, is my, you know, base layer of, uh, infrastructure, just like I think about any other layer of internet infrastructure, is that secure? Um, mm -hmm. Have they gone through all of the sort of best practices and, you know, most, most secure things that they can do, knowing that no system is infallible? And then it's like any other web application, right? You can be built on top of the same underlying infrastructure, but the way that you design your application can differ app by app. And so you also then have to think about, okay, am I not only taking advantage of all of the security features and functionality in that underlying blockchain, but am I making my app secure as well? So it is really a shared responsibility. You know, I think you even see this in AWS, right? AWS says, yeah. this is the part of security we're responsible for. This is the part of security you are responsible for. And I think you see that same model with that underlying you know, blockchain infrastructure, right? You want to make sure that the blockchain you are building on is as secure as it can be. And then you have a responsibility to then, you know, like you said, deliver security and privacy by design within your application as well. Right. Now, Hedera is a, <clears throat> an open source network platform. And I don't want to talk too much about that, except it's it's it's, it's different. It's new. Uh, and 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 so business, you know, change is not easy in anything that happens in life. So, get, what are your top one or two tips to organizations, businesses, universities, governments, in considering blockchain technology as a replacement for traditional IT? Sure. Yeah, I think you know, and in some ways, um, we we will see, right? Because I think you still have. I, we may have talked about this, you still have mainframes in existence, right? Sure. So I'm not sure that people will rip and replace their existing infrastructure. But as they are thinking about new applications to be built on here or enhancements to privacy and security for their existing applications, um, you know, it is interesting because um, blockchains and layer ones have grown up in a very different environment than I think previous generations of infrastructure, right? Hedera is open source. Many other um, layer ones and layer twos are open source. 
Um, and so it becomes important not only to think about the security of the platform and how the code is written, but also to think about the governance of the platform. You can have a highly secure platform, but if all of your um, people who are contributing to the code or are miners um, are based, for example, in a, you know, not today, but you know, for example, in a country like China, where you are unsure as to what might happen with the code, or if there isn't transparency in terms of who is actually managing the code base and contributing to the code base, right? then that's really an area where, you know, you need to be careful, right? Because it used to be sort of, okay, these are these organizations. And I know I have sort of this throat to choke in terms of if something happens, I know who's responsible for the code. With blockchain and with open source, I think people really need to consider the governance, who's contributing to the code base, and you know who is making decisions about the future of the network to ensure that those decisions align with your values and your concerns about security and privacy. Right. But you're also saying a business doesn't, it's not an either or, they don't have to throw out all their hardware and software and start, you know, you can do this in pieces. And maybe you're saying, Organizations can think of those things that are particularly privacy centric and maybe get started by trying those out with this approach. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean they, you know, get rid of everything else. Yeah. And I think you saw organizations take a very similar approach when they started adopting cloud computing, right? Right. They said, okay, maybe I try this cloud computing infrastructure for things where I need my infrastructure to be able to scale up really quickly during like peak demand, right? Holiday season shopping, right? That kind of um, backend infrastructure would be very hard for me to scale up and scale down. um, You know, if I'm going out and uh, procuring my own servers and trying to manage that, uh, you know, for for applications that have sort of this um, fast, you know, fast peaks, right, and and surges in demand. So you started to see, I think, early use of cloud computing was in those kinds of applications where people said, I have a real problem here. And cloud computing is well designed to suit that. And then they got comfortable with cloud computing and said, great, this seems to be working fantastic. And I'm going to go ahead and, you know, I'm now comfortable that it has stood up Mm -hmm. um, during these times of peak demand, and I'm going to go ahead and put applications on it. And so I think we are similarly seeing people who want to either um, have these kind of privacy enhancing applications, or they want to, um, you know, similarly sort of demonstrate some kind of transparency in terms of what they're doing, where that blockchain infrastructure and that, you know, shared public ledger really help them with that, um, that business need. Very good. Well, aside from understanding what we're talking about and and then being careful if you're an individual about what you do do share or choose not to share, what are your top tips to individuals as blockchain uh, plays a growing role in our communications and information sharing? Yeah, I think it really does enable you to think more carefully and thoughtfully about your privacy, right? I think um, for a long time, it has sort of been hey, the privacy, you know, screen pops up and everybody clicks yes, sure. And then we've sort of seen the the backlash of that, right? I think most people have now, um, you know, seen their uh, their information on um, what's the site, the website you've been pawned or, um, you know, they've received a notice of data breach from one or more of their providers. 
Some of those are inconveniences. Somebody might have gotten your email address. Some of those are significantly, um, you know, more severe. Uh, you know, if you are, if you were involved in the Equifax breach, right? Potentially your social security number, your, right. um, you know, your IRS, uh, information has been compromised there. So I think, you know, thinking about and pushing back on, your the people that you engage with on a day-to-day basis and saying, do you really need all of this information about me? Or is there a better way that you can verify this? Those are the kinds of questions that get people thinking about that. And, you know, sometimes people, sometimes organizations will just say, no, I actually don't need that. I just have collected it forever. And now I'm going to keep collecting it. And that's probably not a great answer. You know, but I think encouraging the companies that you do business with to be more thoughtful about what kinds of information they they collect and, um, you know, speaking up about that is very important. Kind of monitoring that on your own uh, as well. And then thinking about are there opportunities? Are there areas where, you know, gosh, you see this happening in your day-to-day life? And if you're potentially an entrepreneur, this is, you know, an area where there's there are some gaps in the market. So could you potentially, you know, create a solution in your industry that helps take advantage of the privacy benefits? Very good. Well, Zenobia, thank you very much for this uh, uh, very interesting excursion into what is already growing and uh, may, may be an increasing wave of how to how to have privacy in an in an inter- interconnected world? Uh, not not an easy balance to make, is it? <laughs> any, any final words for our listeners? Um, I would say if you are interested in learning more, there is a whole privacy white paper on the Hedera website under the white paper section, and it talks not just about Hedera. Certainly, it talks about the ways to minimize personal data for greater privacy. So if you are an application builder or developer thinking about how should I architect my application, what kinds of you know first principles should I be thinking about, um, I would encourage you to download that white paper and it gives some good um, you know tips and tricks for what should I be thinking about, what kinds of data minimization can I be thinking about and how can I effectively use things like tokenization to achieve those goals? Very good. Hedera, H-E-D-E-R-A, Hedera. Something we all ought to take a look at and consider. As always, I'll close by reminding us all, protecting your personal data begins with you. 